a, a birthday card. And my dad doesn't really do birthday cards with a happy birthday on them. He just sends me random cards that he's found because he's not very good at remembering them. Um, but it was this card. You can see this. It's a picture of a man lying in a boat on a beautiful blue uh, lake sea. Don't know. And uh, in this card, he just basically put a little thing just saying, uh, happy birthday. I'm always praying for you. And he just put inside of it, just in case you, you've forgotten how to relax, I thought the picture might help. And so what he was saying was just, whenever you're feeling a bit stressed out, Pete, look at the picture, chill out a little bit. And I need to hear that a lot because I find it quite hard just to chill out. So uh, I often have a look at these pictures to remind me that I need to do that. And all that card for me was, it's a, it's a promise of my dad saying, I'm going to pray for you. And a reminder to me that I need to relax in that. And when we come to this story today, what we're looking at is what God wants to say to us after those come out of the ark, after they've spent time worshipping, God makes his promise to them. He puts his rainbow in the sky, which is this visible sign of God's promise speaking both in the present, but also all the way through to the present day and into the future. God wants to speak his promise over us and he gives us signs of his promises. And throughout the Bible, we see whenever there are promises made by God, he gives a sign that is something we can physically see or engage in that helps remind us of the promise. We have that in church. We have that with baptism. It's a visible sign of something God's doing inside of us. We call it a sacrament, which is a, a visible sign um, of an inward grace. We have communion, something we engage in that reminds us of what Jesus did for us on the cross and how he's coming back again. These visible signs are there to remind us of what God has spoken. So this morning, we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at God's promise. We're going to look at God's purpose. And we're going to look at God's possibilities. That's where we're going to go this morning. So God's promise. So the end of chapter eight. Um, so the thing you need to know about the story of Noah, if you read it through, you go, it seems to repeat itself a lot. You sort of read one section and then you sort of hear it again, read a second time. You're like, what's this about? And what you need to understand is that there's probably two stories here being combined together by uh, a uh, editor who's brought two different stories, two versions of this story together into this particular story that we read. So you sort of hear bits twice. And so the end of chapter eight, I'll get close and close to Hannah. <laughs> at the end of chapter eight, God uh, makes his promise about, I'm not going to destroy the world. And he says, there will always be springtime and harvest. There'll always be summer and winter. There'll always be cold and there'll be warmth. He makes his promise that seasons will always continue. He's saying that whatever happens, there's always going to be seasons. There will always be beginnings and end, endings. That we've just had this climactic uh, ending that's just happened with the destruction of the entire world. And God's making a promise now saying it will always be seasonal. It will never be permanent. In your life, you'll go through seasons in your life and they're seasons. There will always be springtime and harvest. There will always be time to plant things and to have fruitfulness. There will always be time to start things and time to finish things there'll be beginnings and there'll be endings and God's saying to the whole of creation this is the promise I make to you that this too shall pass this too shall pass you might have heard that phrase and as we are facing this current situation that we're in it's good to be reminded that this is a season this too shall pass this will some point have an end point to it but it's very easy for us to get trapped into the thinking that the season that we're in is all that life can look like right now. 
And God's promise to us in this is that this too shall pass. Yes, it won't be easy. Yes, it might not be straightforward. But this season will come to a conclusion and something else will take place after it. If you're going through a really good time, it's going actually, there'll be good times, but there'll also be times which will come in the future which won't be so easy. And that's okay. It's to be expected. But what's God's promise he's making here at the end of chapter eight, and then he establishes that again with the rainbow in chapter nine, is saying the promise is there is always hope when there's a storm. Whenever a storm happens, there is always a hope. And we've seen, haven't we, the rainbow being used all around the nation as a visible sign of hope. In every window you pass, you see beautiful kids' drawings of amazing rainbows. And we recognise it, don't we, instinctively as humanity, as a symbol of hope. God is trying to say there will always be hope in the midst of adversity. That's God's promise that he's making in chapter nine, saying the rainbow is a symbol that I will never again destroy the whole earth. Never again will that be the case. What he says, I promise that life will always be the priority over destruction. That giving you life is what God longs to do. He's saying for you, but also for the whole of creation. What he's saying is, if you read it in chapter, in verse nine and 10 of chapter nine, he says, I will establish my covenant with you and with every living creature. He says, I'll make it with you, with the birds of the air, the livestock and the wild animals. You see, I'm making this promise to the whole of creation, to everyone, that I am about life, not about destruction. That I'm about giving you hope in the midst of adversity. That I'm a God who's giving you promise where before it, you felt powerless. That's what God is speaking into this. And what's interesting is you look at the fact that he says human beings, he talks about the birds of the air, he talks about the livestock, he talks about the wild animals. There are two other times that rainbows appear in the Bible that they're talked about. We have, so the third one is here. We have the first one in Genesis and there's two other times. There's one in Ezekiel, which is a book in the middle of the Bible. And it's Ezekiel having a vision of heaven. And it talks about heaven and saying there's a rainbow around the throne of God and there are four living creatures. It has one with the face of a man, one with the face of a bird, one with the face of an ox and one with the face of a lion. And what it's saying is God has authority and his promise is for the whole of creation, for, the, for human beings, for the birds of the air, for the livestock, for the wild animals. God is Lord over all those things. And again, when we get to Revelation, we have the same picture again of God's throne room and these four living creatures that represent effectively the whole of creation, the human beings, the birds of the air, the livestock, the wild animals. We have these images of these creatures with the, the human head, the eagle head, the ox head and the lion head as a symbol of all of creation. You have this image of the rainbow and the promise to all creation here at the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis 9, in the middle of the Bible, in Ezekiel, and at the end of the Bible, in Revelation. It's saying God's promise is faithful throughout all time. It's there in the beginning, it's there in the middle, and it's there in the end. If you remember back to last week, we looked at the story of Noah and how God calls him into the ark. God then says, in the middle of the story, God says, I'm with you, I remember you. And at the end, he says, come out, Noah, I'm, lead me into a new place. 
It's saying God's there at the beginning, the middle, and the end. In this story, the promise of the rainbow is there at the beginning, it's there in the middle, and it's there at the end for the whole of creation. And he gives this rainbow as a sign of that covenant, saying, I'm a God about life, not about destruction. I want to lead you into a place of life. I want you to always know that whatever storm you go through, whatever you face, there is always hope. That there are always seasons. The season you're in might not be the best season right now, but there is always hope that the season will change. That there will be a new season in your life. The rainbow is a testament to that promise that God says there will be seasons. There will always be springtime and harvest. There will always be beginnings and ends. But God's there at the beginning, the middle and the end. God's in it all. And every season is important and valuable. And we can learn things in every season. And God is promising to be with us in every season. And God says that there is hope in every season. So God is making this amazing promise through the sign of the rainbow. And the word for bow there in the Hebrew is the same word for a bow and arrow. So think about a bow, it means a weapon. In the Hebrew, it can translate as just a weapon rather than a bow. And so if I just show you this picture up on screen. What it's talking about is how God turns the bow that faces us in hostility and he turns it upon himself into a bow that faces heaven. And what is trying to be a testament to is saying the punishment that we deserve for the stuff that we do that doesn't match the image of God, the hostility that we show to God, and therefore God is, a, is in tension with us. God's saying, I don't show that on you anymore. I turn it onto myself. And so at the very beginning here of the Bible, we have that, again, that, that, uh, linking through to what's going to happen with Jesus at the, at the cross, where God takes everything, all the punishment of all of our sin upon himself, rather than putting it upon us, and allows us to have new life. That the cross is that picture of the rainbow being turned towards God himself. The bow of uh, the weapon that was the bow being turned upon God himself in Jesus, taking our punishment for us so that we can find new life. So that when we look at the cross, it's like the rainbow. It's a symbol of hope that stands true in every season of our life, that grace is enough for us. God turns the bow of hostility into the bow of hope for us. God is always turning that hostility towards hope. So God's promise is that there are seasons of life, that when the storms of life come, there's always promise and there's always hope, and that this too shall pass. He's not about destroying life. He's about giving life. And the rainbow is a sign of that hope. God longs for life, not for death. So we come on to the next part, which is God's purpose. And when you read Genesis 9, it reads a bit like the beginning of Genesis 2 and about what Adam and Eve were called to do in the Garden of Eden. It says, then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. There's a direct echo here between uh, Genesis 9 and Genesis 2 and 3 when God speaks to Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful and multiply. If you remember back to, back to week one, when we talked about how um, the issue was that was going on in Genesis 5 is that Adam was made in God's image 
And then Seth comes on the scene made in Adam's image. And we talked about that idea of actually whose image are you trying to follow? Whose design are you trying to be like? And in God's resetting of the whole of creation, he gives back the same command to Noah that he gave to Adam and Eve, which was to be fruitful and to multiply, to replicate God's creation in the whole of the earth. If you were with us at church, we were doing the uh, series at the beginning of January about original design. If you weren't there, check it out on the website. You can listen back to it. But what does it mean to live in God's original design? What's God's intent for us as humanity? What's our purpose? God's reestablishing it here with Noah, saying, your purpose is to replicate life, to bring life to wherever you go. To use language from Genesis 1 and 2, it's saying, go and extend the Garden of Eden out as far as you possibly can. Take the experience of living with God and make it stretch as far and wide as you possibly can. <laughs> Allow everyone to experience what it means to know and walk with God, to go and beautify wherever you find yourself. And right now we feel quite contained and quite constrained in lockdown. But it doesn't mean to say you still can't be someone who's living the purpose and plan of God in your life right now by seeking to live at Eden to garden your little bit of territory that God's given you. That can be your friends, your family, the people you know around you, your neighbours who maybe you've got to know for the first time in this lockdown. You have an opportunity to share something of that hope with them. The ability to garden and make beautiful whatever it is that you have been given responsibility for. No matter how big or small that might be, you might be leading a company and that's your garden. That's what you're responsible for, making beautiful, for making it in the image of God. For you, it might just be, actually, you just have your own little house and that's your kingdom. That's your little garden. That's what you are called to make beautiful and reflect the nature of God. doesn't matter how big or how small it is. What you are called to do is be like Adam and Eve and then Noah's calling, which is the same, is to um, replicate God's life wherever you are, to bring life to it, to expand the garden of Eden. And for each of us, that will look different. And what's amazing is when God says to Adam and Eve, and when he then says it again to Noah, he's saying, go and be fruitful and multiply. But there's also this sense, which again, we see in the rainbow in chapter nine, is a sense of it looks different for everyone. Your Eden, your little patch will look different from someone else's little patch. But equally, your gifts and your skills will look different from other people. You haven't got to try and be like other people. You've got to be who God's made you to be. Again, we looked at this in week one of this series on Noah. You've got to be you. You've can, only you can be the best you you can be. And being a follower of Jesus is about allowing God to speak truth over our lives as to who we truly are and then walking into that and living in that promise and being all that you can be. So you haven't got to look at other people and go, oh gosh, I wish I had their gifts. I wish I had their skills. I wish I had their life. No. What's God given you to be responsible for? What gifts and skills has God given you to use? And that looked different. If you look at the rainbow, again, as an analogy here, the rainbow is what happens when you split white light. White light is made up of all the colours of the rainbow. All the colours of the, the colour spectrum are there to make up white light, to make up pure white light. And if we think of God being like light, he says that, doesn't he, in the Bible, God is the light of the world. It's saying each of us is like a different colour and we get to be part of making it what it looks like to reflect Jesus into the world. 
You can't have a rainbow without one colour or another colour. You have to have all the colours in there to make up the full picture. Each of us are like a different colour. And only you can be the best colour you can be. But if you're red and you're trying to be green, you'll always be disappointed in your life. Only you can be you. You are called to use your gifts, your skills, your talents, your abilities, your responsibility, your little world. You're called to do it the best you possibly can to reflect the nature of who God is. God's original design for you is for you to be the best you you can be. <laughs> so the questions you need to ask yourself are things like this. What do you have to share? What skills do you have? But ultimately, what are you passionate about? Because it's easy to think I should be passionate about X, Y, or Z because I've seen that person over there who's passionate about that and therefore I feel I should be that. But actually, what gets you going in the morning? What are you passionate about? What skills do you have? What do you have that you can share with other people? Because what I really feel is as we move forward as a church, and it's an amazing opportunity that we have to really reflect on what church might be going forwards, is it has to come from a place of us being the best us we can be. And the things that we do as a church shouldn't come from, we feel we should have this program or this program. It should come from, what are the things that each of us individually are passionate about? What is it as a church that we're passionate about? What are the things that we have as a church that we can share? What are the gifts that we have as a church? What are the skills that we have as a church? And then we build church from the place of our gifting and our calling rather than from what we feel we should be because every other church is doing it. In this time, God wants to speak to us individually and as a church and say, you are called to be the best you you can be. Don't try and be something you're not. Be who you are. We need all of it. All of it's important. The whole spectrum is important. But as individuals and as a church, we can't do everything because we're not equipped to do everything. So the questions we need to be asking ourselves as we go forward out of lockdown for us as a church and individuals is, OK, God, what have you given me? What's my colour in the spectrum of all that you are? What is it that I can offer, that I can give, that I can share? What is it that I'm passionate about? So wouldn't it be amazing if in church we were all serving in something we're passionate about? I talk to too many of us who are kind of doing things like, it's good to do it, but it's not really what I'm passionate about. And I love the faithfulness of people serving in ministries that aren't really their heart. And that is needed at times. We need to do things sometimes, which is just kind of, it's for the cause of the family and it's good to do. But actually, if the ministries we're running as a church aren't coming from a place of us reflecting the true nature of what's in our heart as a church, as individuals that we're passionate about, why are we doing it? Because what we're then doing is we're doing things that make us unjoyful and make us resentful and makes us tired and makes us fatigued. It's far easier to keep going when you're passionate than it is when you're dis uh, disgruntled. So what are you called to be? What are you called to do? What are we as a church called to be and do? What's our colour that we can shine the brightest to help us reflect the full nature of who God is?
Oh, something's gone wrong with my screen. Sorry about that. So you are called to be the best you can possibly be. And what mission is ultimately, it's you being who God's made you to be and being the best it can be wherever you are. It's really easy to think that mission is something that the church program does for us. And it's not. It's you being you, wherever you are, whatever you have responsibility over. And I've used this phrase quite a bit over this last year, which is its mission is everybody, everywhere, every day. And I think going forward, because lockdown will probably be quite a slow process of things changing, we won't be able to do a lot of things we've been doing for a long time. And therefore, it puts more onus back on us individually to be God's hands and feet wherever we find ourselves. Not outsourcing it to the church to do it on our behalf, but making it actually about you and me being God's hands and feet to the people we meet day by day, wherever we find ourselves. Mission or being fruitful is you being you everywhere, every day, being who God's called you to be. And lastly, as we come to a close, the last thing I want to share with you is God's possibilities that we see in this passage. After a flood, I got flooded out in my house about in 2006, I think it was, there's big floods in Worcestershire, and our house got flooded. And after the floods receded, what's left is a layer of silt. And that silt is really, really fertile. And actually, after a crisis, there's actually often a lot of possibility. There's new fertility for something new to happen, for new life to take place. There's a window of opportunity that arises where there are new possibilities, new options, new ways of doing stuff. This crisis has stirred things up to create a new fertility of the land, new things for us to do, new opportunities for us to engage in. But also things change as well. And in this story, in verse three of chapter nine, God says, you can now, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve, sorry, Noah, you can now eat all the animals. Before this, they're all vegetarian in the Bible. At this point, God says, there's a new possibility for you that wasn't there before. As we move forward, there are new possibilities that God wants to speak over our lives that are there for us. One of the verses that's come up quite a little bit in this period of time is Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. It might be familiar to some of you. I'll read it to you. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making ways in the deserts and streams in the wastelands. He's saying, forget the former things because I'm doing something new. This season is a new opportunity for new possibilities. Forget everything that went before and let God speak into the new. In this story, Genesis 9 is a creation story. It's saying there is new life here. I'm doing it afresh in a new way. I'm giving new possibilities and new hope. I'm not going to destroy the earth again. I'm going to do something different now in a new way. God is recreating. There's new possibilities. And what happens is you get, after this little bit of story of kind of God making his promises, you then get that weird bit at the end where Noah goes and plants a vineyard, gets smashed, and there's children have to try and cover him up. It's all a bit weird. But think of it this way. It says this in verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Noah, 
immediately does what he's always done. Noah immediately does what he's always done, what he's always known. And it's so easy after a time of upset, of challenge, to want to go back to what we've always known. But for Noah, when he does that, it leads him to be in a place where he becomes paralytic. It makes him stop. He can't move forwards. Are we going to go back to what we always did? Because if we do that, it'll be good, but it will keep us paralyzed where we are and not allow us to move forwards. Noah goes back to what he's always done and it leads him to a place where he's not living in the promise of God. He's gone backwards. He'd ended up living the life of what the world looked like before lock, before he was in the boat, before lockdown for him. When people were going away from God and in drunkenness and debauchery. And what do we find Noah here doing? He's gone back to the old way of doing stuff. Isaiah 43, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing. A new thing. And this is a new season for the UK church, the worldwide church, but also for Yardley Baptist Church. This is a new season. Let's not dwell on the past. Forget the former things as we move forwards into the new. Just want to show you a quick picture up on the screen again. We've got a question to ask ourselves in this time. If you've got a device, like a mobile phone or a, a iPad or a tablet, or even a computer, there are two ways you can reset things. There's what's called a soft reset, and what's called a hard reset. Now a soft reset is pretty much turning it off and on again. It's a bit more than that, but it's basically, you sort of reset it, but it still has all the things that you've always had. It has all your apps, it has all your information on it still, it still has everything you've always had before, you've just kind of done a bit of a reboot of the old. But a hard reset on a piece of technology is when you set it back to the manufacturer's original settings when you take it back to how it always was. And it doesn't have all of your apps. It doesn't have all of your, your contact details. It's something completely brand new that you then need to recreate and re-put in the things that are important to you. But it sets it back to its manufacturer's settings. In this story, God's just done a hard reset of the world. It's been this cataclysmic uh, flood and God's done a hard reset on the world to put it back to the maker's original settings. And he says to Noah, now go and live in that new place. It wasn't a soft reset, it was a hard reset. And for us as a church right now, we have a choice. We need to have a soft reset of what we are and who we are as a church, or we can do a hard reset of who we are and what we are as a church. As a leadership team, we've been praying about it and talking about it, and we feel that it's a hard reset that we need as a church. But this is an opportunity to do something new in a new way and that's what we're praying into that's what we're thinking about and i would encourage all of you to be thinking about that as a church 
asking God what it means to have a hard reset. I spoke at the end of uh, the message last week about how when Noah comes out of the boat, he lays down things that are good is an action of sacrifice and an action of worship. There are things that we do as a church that are really good, that we're really, really good at. And it's easy to go, let's just carry on doing those things. But actually, I think what we're called to in this moment is go, actually, even though it's good and it's right, maybe we're called to, as an action of worship, say, God, okay, we lay it down and we'll only pick it up again if you speak, if you tell us to. We lay it all down. And that's not just ministries. That's not just organisations. That is our own personal ministries in the life of the church. Things that I'm responsible for currently, that you're responsible for currently, Maybe we need to lay that all down and go, okay, God, I'm going to put it in your hands again and I'll only pick this up if you say. I'll only move again if you say. I want to do a hard reset in my servant, uh, sorry, in my, in my service in the life of the church. I want to do a hard reset in what we are as a church. And that'll be painful, that'll be hard, and that's going to upset each and every one of us. But I really believe this is an opportunity that we will never get again as a church to be church in the way that God's always intended for us to be. It's not saying what was, what was there before was wrong, but maybe it needs to look a bit different going forwards. So I will ask you some questions to go away from this place today to be thinking about and praying about as a church congregation. And they're this. What do we think the church should be? For you, what is the church about? At its very essence, at its very core, what is church to you? Stripping away the coffee rotor and um, the preaching and the worship and the this and the other, what at the core of church, what is it that makes church church for you? What do you think biblically church is? Because it's not a building, it's about a community of people. But there are things that for you are non-negotiables as to what makes church church. What are those things? If you strip everything else away, what are the things that you think church should be? What do you feel that we as a Yali Baptist Church should be looking to do as a church going forwards as a community? How do we do church together? And that can be things like, for example, um, big things as to kind of big ministries we maybe we should be looking at doing. That could be down to, let's change the time of the service. It could be trivial things. It could be, let's change the coffee. For you, what are the things that get, you're passionate about, get frustrated by? What are the things that actually church for you should be? What do you think the church should be? Next question, how could the church be this? And thirdly, how could we get there? Because that's the journey we're going to be going on as a church as we start thinking about how do we build the church from scratch, from the ground upwards? How do we reset the church back to manufacturer's settings, back to the creator's original intent and build the church from there? That's what we're looking to do. That's what we're seeking to be. I want to live for Jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength. I want to do that in community with other people. And I want to hear God's voice in that and only do what he calls us to do. Because Jesus says, I only do what I see the father doing. He doesn't say, 
I only do what I see the church down the road doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. So I don't want to be a church that has all this, 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 and this just because it's nice to have. I want to be a church that says, what are we gifted and skilled to do? What is God speaking to us to do? And let's do and be that. Because only when we're being authentic to who God's called to be, will we be living in the full purpose and plans of God that will allow us to be fruitful and to multiply on the earth. Let's pray. So Father God, I pray that you would help us really think this through. How do we reset the church back to your original settings? What are the things that make church church for us? What should church be? What would that look like? How could we get there, Lord? Help us to discern as a congregation what church might be, what our lives might look like going forward from this lockdown. Lord, what are the things that we need to lay down and sacrifice in worship and say, Lord, I'll only pick it up again if you speak and you say. Father God, help us have courage and bravery to do that. Because it's scary and it's hard to lay down things that are good as an action of worship and sacrifice and surrender to you. But Lord, we want to reset our lives. We want to go back to the manufacturer's original settings and live our lives for you. Shining as every colour that you've made us to be. Living under your promise that you are with us in every season. That there is always hope. That there is always another season to come. That this isn't it. But there is yet more still light and truth for you to bring forth from your word and from all that you are. So Father God, help us on this journey, I pray, as we cling to your goodness. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.